0: Mike Hughes, the eldest member of the cornerback group. I wanna see if he can become a player who plays in the slot or if he's gonna play on the
1: outside. If and when Pat Elfline has the year that I think he's capable of this year, something like that could could completely transform what we do. Hey guys, welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. This is episode 52. I'm Cy Amundsen, your host. I'm joined by Chris Corso and Jay Nelson from Vikings.com. And boys, we are nearly all systems ago. As the start of the 2020 Verizon Vikings training camp is underway, rookies and quarterbacks have officially started reporting today veterans start reporting on Monday, and this thing is going to be interesting, Chris Corso. Uh, tell me a little bit about, we were talking before the show, the process, uh, what it takes just for these guys to get in the building and, and be allowed to start working out.
0: Yes, uh, it's going to be an interesting process. Each player that comes into the building has to have two negative tests for coronavirus that are 72 hours apart. So if one player comes in on Monday, they're going to have to test negative and then they will have to test negative again on Thursday uh, to be able to do anything in the building. Um, Every employee, front office member, coach, staff uh, will have to do a a survey as they enter the building every single day to uh, talk about their their symptoms, their temperature, um, a variety of things uh, to make sure that they get that approval to come into the building. And the last thing is that everyone in the building is going to have to wear a mask covering uh, when they walk around the TCO Performance Center, so and that includes the players as well. So it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be different. Uh, there's going to be the, these contact tracer devices that are on um, the staff and players um, to show who has come into contact with who. Um, so if you're in contact with someone who de- uh, someday has a positive test, uh, the Vikings. Head Athletic Trainer Eric Sugarman will know exactly who uh, came close to that positive test uh, uh, person in the makes building. It so.
1: makes it really easy for them to find people. And isn't there in terms of – because for those of you who haven't known, there's tiers. There's Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 in terms of who can – you know, report and when they can report and when they can be in the building. And I, I believe I heard uh, Tier 1 and 2 are allowed to intermingle and Tier 3 is not allowed to intermingle. And on those same systems, is, is was this a joke or did I hear that literally a buzzer will go off if they're within a certain amount of feet of T2 or T1?
0: Yeah, that is that device that I was talking about. So me it's being a Tier 3 employee... If I go near anywhere near somebody like Kirk Cousins, my buzzer's going off and it's going to start ringing. Uh, so I will definitely make sure um, that myself being one of the Tier 3 That would members, be a great
1: name for Chris Corso's book. Chris Corso, <laughs> tier, tier 3. <laughs> tier 3 Chris Corso. Jay, it sounds like there's not going to be any preseason games happening this year. I, I mean, it's not set in stone, but it feels slim to none at this point. They're officially be no fans at any NFL training camps. Do you see that hindering their preparedness for the season or are you confident that the things are in place to get guys ready to play?
2: For me, the, the, Biggest bummer of it is the preseason being eliminated. That is where in the past you've been able to find your diamonds in the rough like your Adam Thielen's who were more of your undrafted players. I think with between that and the fact that they're going to be, it sounds like, paring down the rosters to 80 instead of 90 during camp as would be normal during a normal year Um, those kind of opportunities for some of those guys are going to be fewer and far between it's going to be very slim for some of them to be able to make that happen but in general for me i think given the fact there was no off season for these guys as far as being on the field and being able to work together the camaraderie i think this buffer zone at the beginning of camp is going to be something that they can use to gel as a team and then finally just be able to concentrate on football on the field yeah, it's going to be way different. You're not going to have the roar of the crowd and the excitement and the kind of the buzz at camp. But in general, I think once those guys are able to just focus on football, that might actually be a little beneficial to the team since they've missed out on so much this past offseason.
1: Yeah, and let, let me hammer a couple of those things home. One, you know, I think one of the negatives is – you know, just the mass amount of draft capital spent in the second half of the draft this year, which we were all really enthused about. Those are the types of guys I think you really would have liked to see get run in preseason. And like you said, see a few of them separate themselves. So in a year when the Vikings had an abnormal amount of late round draft picks, that that definitely is a source of frustration. But to the other side, I love training camp. And I love the fan aspect of training camp. I think, you know, I used to go on Mankato all the time. I was at the one last year up in Egan. It's just a wonderful experience. But I think you're right. <clears throat> I think it gives the, the team and all the units that compose the team, coaching, training, all of it, it just gives them this focus that that'll allow it to be strictly about football on every single level at every single moment. And that might end up being a benefit uh, for the team.
2: Yeah. And ultimately, I think having that ability to focus, like you said, because of the amount of rookies and young people we have on this team is the critical component that we've all been kind of raising an eyebrow at this past offseason is just saying they're missing out on this critical time. Yes, they're doing Zoom classrooms or, or, you know, some sort of online learning but that is going to be the critical piece and so now it sounds like at least for a chunk of time they're going to get that to start
1: well let's go through a couple training camp talkers here and and we'll be doing this every week but i i think the one that everyone is most interested in or nearly most interested in is the wide receiver situation anytime you trade a superstar that position group comes underneath a microscope in the next season so Diggs is out you got Jefferson and Tajay Sharp in. You know, a lot of people forget Chad Beebe is back. Chad Beebe had to sit out. A lot of people were excited about him going into last year. He's now here. So I think there's going to be a lot of comparative analysis. But I want to put you guys on the spot with a fun question. And uh, I, was, I was talking with a, a writer. Are you guys familiar with Chris Shad? Yep. Chris, Chris had a really interesting piece uh, where he pointed out that this is the third superstar wide receiver trade for the vikings in the last 15 years or so moss goes to oakland percy harvin goes to seattle and now stefan diggs and they were all kind of you know all with a little bit of drama all with a little bit of like interesting pieces and you know the moss trade for most fans that is still a thorn in their side they are very they 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 feel like they got the raw end of that now the harvin one uh, Spielman spun that into Xavier Rhodes, and that beca- Xavier became, amongst other things, became a cornerstone to one of the best defenses in the leagues for a lot of years. So it's it's almost as if this superstar wide receiver trade is the tiebreaker, and that was the crux of his article that I thought was so interesting. So my question to you two is: when it's when this year is said and done, do you think fans are going to be looking at the Diggs trade? More on the Harvin side or more on the Moss side?
0: I think uh, it's going to be something like Justin Jefferson is always going to be linked to Stefan Diggs, especially for Vikings fans. I mean, when you pull a trade like that and you're able to get a first-round pick from the Buffalo Bills, which many did not expect after that DeAndre Hopkins trade, I think Jefferson coming in, he's shown the confidence Uh, he He already said he can't wait to be tackled by Eric Kendricks in practice once they start tackling each other. He's ready to go against the top players on the Vikings defense, and I think he's ready to go. I mean, it's going to be exciting to see what he can do because he not only has the skill and the talent in college, but he has the opportunity. Like, it's there for him. It's waiting for him. It's up to him what he's going to do with it. 18 touchdowns in college last year. I think there's going to be a lot of chances for him to make big plays for the Vikings this year.
1: Uh, Jay, let me, uh, let me just say that I would like to be the first to donate to Chris Corso's political career because he did not remotely answer that question. You weak little boy. Uh, it is because that's the interesting thing. Much like the Moss trade, it's receiver for receiver. I think the difference between the Moss trade and the Diggs trade is Troy Williamson was kind of a little bit unexpected at that pick and you know it was a little bit of a surprise whereas i think justin jefferson the common opinion on him i would say is higher at the time than what i think the common opinion was on troy williamson jay why don't you go ahead and dodge the question
2: <laughs> gladly uh, to be honest with you that was your point that you just made is actually what i was going to bring up too given what chris said
1: well i'm super smart thank you Keep the going.
2: linking of the of, of this piece with with justin jefferson because of the Troy Williamson situation that happened after Randy left, that is the thing that I think has always kind of made Vikings fans gun shy. Just in general, just saying like, listen, you can say that, yes, this trade happened and are you going to feel one way or the other? But what it turns into is what happened the following year and who was the person that possibly came in to replace them. And since Williamson did not live up to the expectations of what he was drafted at and Jefferson by all accounts at this point, seems like he's going to be an absolute stud on this team. Having Diggs produce the way that he did, having it be the Diggs and Thielen combo, and now having a guy like Justin Jefferson step into those kind of shoes, that is the thing that on a local and national level everyone's looking at to say, will the Vikings miss a step or not? And I think for guys like Kubiak and everyone within the Vikings wide receiver room, they're going to be looking at a guy like Jefferson to be able to step up and and fit that production since the Vikings offense was pretty dang solid last season.
1: I'll answer it. I think it's going to be more Harvin. I think Randy Moss was a transcendent athlete for this team, and he left with a return that was very questionable. And I, I think I just, I'm with you guys. I think, I think the return, and, and, that's, and we're just talking about the one pick. We're, just, we're strictly talking about Justin Jefferson here. It doesn't start and end there. You have to look at the whole docket. But, you know, there wasn't this sort of steam Heading into camp with Troy Williamson, like there is uh, Justin Jefferson. Next question that you guys won't want to answer. This is fun for I'm me. Gary right Kubiak, at you with this
0: takes, next answer now. <laughs>
1: grow up, Chris Corso, and handle this question. Gary Kubiak's taken over play calling. Are we going to Stefanski? Could be Stefanski was was uh, all of us were huge fans of him, and he's was interestingly wide open at times, and then very conservative at times. Will we see with Gary Kubiak, Chris, will he fall more conservative than Stefanski, or will will he fall on a more aggressive side than Stefanski?
0: Well, we all know Gary Kubiak's been linked to the running backs throughout his career and having one of the top running uh, offenses every single year he's been in this league as an offensive play caller. So um, I expect him to do more of the running Dalvin Cook as many times as he can a game, and Uh, be able to use that to set up the play action uh, for Kirk Cousins. So I I think we're going to go conservative in that aspect. Um, Cousins threw 10 interceptions the year before and had just six um, this previous year uh, with Gary Kubiak on staff kind of directing Stefanski. So I think you'll continue to see him try to limit the mistakes for Cousins. Um, But I definitely, yeah, I'd say it will be a little more conservative uh, than last year.
1: Well, let me just point out that too often people, you know, conservative in terms of offensive play calling is connected to maybe, maybe as a negative connotation. And that's not the way the question was posed, because to me, I think you look at your pieces and your assets around your entire football team and you decide what the proper approach is and so that this is more of a question of how do you think he'll use our pieces than naming either of the approaches as right or wrong so jay i've now allowed you to answer that question uh with free conscience go ahead
2: You want to see somebody sit on a fence, watch this one here. I think the conservative side of it is going to be the running back side of it and that they're going to try to move the ball, especially if you get a guy like Delvin on the field consistently and he can stay healthy. I think that will be viewed as conservative, but what that does, like you said, Corso, was set up the play-action pass, and I think given the confidence that Kirk had even in that final – or in the the New Orleans playoff game – where he was hitting the deep shot in overtime, going for the throat to try to win the game, that is what I think will happen within this Kubiak offense. I think you went from essentially the student to the teacher now doing the play calls, and I think as a guy like Kubiak, when he was in Denver, they would pound the rock, but then they would take those shots downfield and they would connect. And if you have some of your speed burner guys, you have a Thielen healthy back, and if, like we said before, if Justin Jefferson steps up, you have some serious weapons, including the tight ends in order to take some deep shots here and pound the rock and then take those shots when necessary.
1: Next question for the two of you in this new game that I've just slowly slid into as the show has developed. What exactly and when will it get done? Delvin's contract. Tell me the money amount. I'm just kidding, Chris. Chris almost <laughs> dropped in his pants. That was a joke. Uh, we, we are not going to dive into that. We're just going to sit and hope that our favorite running back uh, has a great season. I do want to talk about the offensive line. I think a big thing for the offensive line this year is we have stacked it over the last number of years with youthful potential, is what I'll call it. There's youthful potential all over this line. In order for this team to take a giant step forward, I think some of that youthful potential needs to turn into on-the-field, high-level productivity. So, And I know... We on this show, I think, are a lot higher on the offensive line than some other people. Uh, So I'm curious to hear what you guys think. If you had to pick a spot to see that potential turn into production on the O-line, where do you see that most likely coming from, Chris?
0: Yeah, I mean, you have Brian O'Neill. I think he's pretty much become one of the anchors of this offensive line, probably the best player um, at such a young age. And, and I expect him to take a big step this year, whether it's at that right tackle um, position where he's played um, or, if he, or, or if we push him over to the left side um, and Riley Reef goes in, in uh, into the interior part of the offensive line. But I really expect him uh, to be the most consistent player on the offensive line. But I want to see Garrett Bradbury, last year's first-round pick, um, really grow in this offense and become more of a a leader out there. Obviously last year was just his rookie year so um, those two players are the ones that that are going to be anchors of this offensive line for years to come and I really want to see those two guys take a big step here.
1: Jay?
2: I agree with that. I also think that not only having Bradbury back for another year and like you said I think O'Neal being an anchor on the one side, I want to see what's going to happen with that other tackle, and can a guy like an Ezra Cleveland, who just got drafted here, can he step into that role? Because if you're telling me that essentially the outside tackles and the center are solidified, and now we've we've had some you know solid work, and but we've also have some questions yet. on what's going to happen with the guards? If you're telling me that the corners and the middle are solidified, and then we can work out what's going to happen with the guards, you are looking at a young core for a team that has a Delvin. Co- type running back playing for them that can produce for many many years to come and I think that would be huge for this team to finally answer the question of what's going to happen with the offensive line
1: the fans are going to, of this podcast are going to get sick of hearing it I am dying on the pat elfline Hill this year I, I think he I think I've said it a bunch of times he's had a lot of he's had a lot of position coaches a lot of coordinators a lot of position switches and this year is the year that I think you see Pat rise up against that criticism and have a really, really strong year. Uh, check in with me on Twitter in about uh, f- three and a half months and see how people are reacting to that consistent thought process of mine. But I'm really uh, I'm really looking for a good year from Pat Elfline for a couple reasons. One, I just think he's in line for it. And two, I- I- if it happens, I-, I think it could be transformative for the offensive line. If and when Pat Elfline... Uh, has the year that I think he's capable of this year. I think people could look at this line and go, oh, wow, look, look at this now. Look, look at uh, something like that could, could completely transform what we do, and I'm a believer that that's, that's in the realm of possibility this year. Uh, let's do, uh, since we're on position groups, let's do what, as, as training camp is about to start, what position group battle are you looking forward to the most?
0: For me, it's obviously the cornerback position. It's the position where we lost two of the uh, starters for the past three to four years in um, Trey Waynes and, and Xavier Rhodes. They're, they are both gone now, so it's Mike Hughes who is the eldest member of the cornerback group. So uh, he, he, it's, He's going to have to step up this year. I want to see if he can become a player who plays in the slot or if he's going to play on the outside. We've seen him do a little bit of both. Um, When he's healthy, but you look, you go down this list and, and the top seven guys, I think are the ones that, that are really going to have a chance to get reps uh, with the starters. And that's Mike Hughes, uh, Jeff Gladney, Holton Hill, and Chris Boyd, the two uh, young uh, cornerbacks out of Texas. And then Cameron Dantzler, Harrison Hand, and Navelle Clark, uh, the UDFA uh, from central Florida. That's my group of seven that I really want to see battle it out. Chris Boyd and Holton Hill had some games last year where they really stepped up and looked like they could do it. But they also had moments where they they showed their their youth out there and they were beat on big plays. Um, I I can remember the Cowboys game was a game where where these these guys really struggled. So um, let's see who rises to the cream of the crop. Jeff Gladney, the first round pick for the Vikings. Uh, there's going to be a lot asked of him this year. So, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. They're all, it's a bunch of young guys. Chris, let me
1: tell you a couple things. One great, great answer. Great pick. And, uh, anytime somebody combines two common phrases into one common phrase, you just said rise to the cream of the crop. And it's maybe the funniest damn thing I've heard in a hundred years. Uh, I I too am very curious to see who will rise to the cream of the crop with the cornerbacks. And I, I love it. Another thing I keep hammering home on this show is I love that we have two stud, all pro level capable safeties, and now we can just let these guys fight, these young guys fight, and just cycle them out there, and and, and see who are the guys that want it the most, and who are going to produce the best. I'm I'm really excited about that. Jay, uh, who in what group are you curious to see who rises to the top of the cream of the crop?
2: <laughs> that should be a, a new uh, TV show uh, title. That'd be that'd be fun to watch. Uh, 1A and 1B for me are the secondary, but the 1B for me is the wide receiver group. The fact that you essentially have a number one in what we assume is Adam Thielen, and then you literally have 11 more guys on the roster that are going to be duking it out, not only for the wide receiver position, but also skill positions for kick returner, punt returner. These guys are where we found our diamonds in the rough for the last how many years on this team. I think your BC Johnsons, your, your BBs, they have some established – pieces to them but Justin Jefferson is we all assume we want him to step up and and, and handle this but what's going to happen with the Dylan Mitchell what's going to happen with the KJ Osborne Tajay Sharp being a guy that is a veteran that other people there was an, an article that was written basically saying that the rest of the league was actually courting this guy pretty strongly in free agency and so there are a lot of people who believe in him that given the right situation essentially getting out of Tennessee where they were so run heavy he could step up in here as well and become a number two number three wide receiver so that that position for me there are so many bodies in there that can pl- fill so many holes within the, this roster of the final roster the wide receiver something is going to be something very very interesting to, to keep your eyes on
1: uh, i'll throw an extra one in there and it's the 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 opposite defensive end spot with the uh departure of everson griffin Afadi is a guy who, you know, played is capable of playing that position and, and really quietly had a, a a really great year last year and a year of of big time improvement. So I want to see if he can take that jump. You know, you got the draft pick that Chris had on the show a couple weeks ago and in DJ Wanham. I'm really that's always been a strength for this team and the development of young guys has always been there. And it's it's been quite a while since one of those spots has been up for competition in the preseason. So it'll be really interesting to see how that comes together. Uh, Chris, this is one that you've probably been waiting seven months for. What are your expectations for Daddy Kirk? How do you see this season? Because I think, uh, and those of us who are excited to see what he does this year, I think you can recognize that at this point, this offense is built To support what Kirk Cousins does. It's like, you know, you're six foot four and you're you're looking to buy a house and you walk into a house and all the counters are two foot tall and you drill your head on the ceiling in the basement. You're like, I don't think this is for me. I need one of those tall guy houses. Well, the the football house that's been built around Kirk, everybody seems to be that's on the in the team seems to be a supporter of him. He loves the play action. He's got one of the best running backs in the league. He's got wide receivers that fit his skill set. You heard Tajay Sharp, you know, the type of routes that Tajay likes to run. And he likes to get behind people. And he said Kirk throws one of the best deep balls he's ever seen. It's like everything has been put. And and now you're coming off that, that monumental win for him, given the narratives of the past in the playoffs last year. Everything seems to be lining up. It reminds me, and this one went the other way, but the the 2000, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but Dante, the, the famous everything's slowing down quote. And he, he wasn't the only one who felt that. I think everybody watched him walk into that season and thought everything was coming together. Now, I, I'm not saying that Kirk is going to have a season like that. I'm just giving a comparative analysis. But I everything is right there for him to have the season that we all think he's capable of, and Chris, he's your boy. What is Daddy Kirk going to do this year?
0: Well, he threw for over 4,000 yards in five seasons in a row, and last year was the first one where he didn't. Uh, He only threw for 3,600 yards in this Gary Kubiak-molded Stefanski offense. I think it's going to be another similar season. Um, He had his career-high total in – only having six interceptions all the years before that. He had 10 or more um, in, in the NFL the past five seasons that, that I just mentioned. So I think it's going to be trying to balance the mistakes, um, work with a lot of young players as his receivers, and Justin Jefferson. I think Irv Smith is going to come along as one of the, the big players that he's going to want to target. Um, when I talked to Gary Kubiak in the offseason, I mean, he kept mentioning, we're giving Irv a little more, we're giving Irv a little more. Um, so I think that that two tight end set is gonna be really big for the offense this year and really big for Kirk. So I see him thrown for again, that 3,500 yard, um, 25 touchdown, five interceptions is what I'm gonna go with. Um, and if he's around that 70% completion percentage that he's been at the past two years, I think, I think that's what it's what it's gonna be. Um, but yeah, keep keep going with the play action. I would like to see him get out of the pocket a little more on his own. Uh, rather than needing to play action to do so. So if he can make some moves outside the pocket a little more, that will definitely help his cause um, because we've seen what happens when he gets too comfortable just being in the pocket. It It normally doesn't turn out good against a team like the San Francisco 49ers.
2: Jay Nelson? I think for Kirk, if he did what he did last season, given the questions that we had on the offensive line, I'm going to tie back the other qu- question that we had from before. If you're telling me that that offensive line solidifies, there's no reason why he couldn't hit 4,000 yards in a season. He has, like you said, all the weapons that he potentially needs. The front end of the season, usually offense is a little bit slower to solidify. If you have all these question marks on what's going to happen with wide receivers, and then you've got some of your guys, like you said, Irv getting more run at this stuff and with Dalvin getting mo- uh, mixed back in if if, if everything goes right. I think that Kirk is poised to have a gigantic season if everything can solidify here in the short amount of time they're going to have to get everybody on the same page.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. My, I, I think he's in line to have a really good season, and it's the same thing. It's tied to my belief that I think we're going to see a, a jump up in offensive line production this year, and obviously those two things go hand in hand. The reason I did the long preamble before the question is because I – Kirk is a guy that I view, he has that ability to snowball. And, and I mean that in a good way. Like when he feels confidence and then he feels confidence around him, it just picks up and it just snowballs. I, I think about this moment a lot. Two years ago, right before the the uh, DeFilippo season, Right before everything started to kind of go uh, the struggle direction, we had that early season game against the Green Bay Packers, and we were down by, God, I don't even remember how many, Jay, but we were down by a bundle in the second half, and all of a sudden, Kirk came out and hit a couple throws, and, and, and this was before he, his production was even polarized by the fan base. I think at that point, most fans were just psyched to have a productive quarterback and I I think he made a few throws early in that second half that you went, oh boy, and then you saw the team rallying, and then you saw him sticking some throws in there, and then remember late in that game, I I think it was Thielen or Diggs, I can't remember, but he put that ridiculous-ass throw right near the corner down by the goal line right there, and you're like, well, that's one of the best throws I've ever seen, and he has that ability when... When he's feeling it and when those around him are really behind him and running with him, he really, really snowballs and becomes one of these guys where like, this is one of the best quarterbacks in the league for sure. And I, the reason I did that preamble before the question is that's the place we're in. He's got a coordinator he likes. He's got a, a, a great running back. And Alexander Madison, who we will talk about on this podcast at some point, that's another guy that I have immense expectations for uh he's got wide receivers who fit him we're just the defense everything is right there so I think this could be one of those things where I I have regular positive expectations for him like I think he could hit 3,500 4,000 yards low interceptions do really well but I think there's this ceiling on it I think there's this world where if he comes out and in the first two three games things click And everybody is falling together in the right way and everything's landing. And Er like you said, Irv Smith steps up a little bit and takes on a role where you could go, there's a ceiling of, oh, this guy's having a monster year.
2: Part of it too with Kirk, like you said, you you see the confidence kind of oozing from him and and you see him kind of get on a roll and he's just kind of, you know, directing traffic and telling here, 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 and he's just clicking. The best part for me, what I love to see on that, and we saw it last year, especially after the controversy happened and then he just turned into a kind of a, you know, screw this, I'm just going to go for it. When he bites down on his mouthpiece, and just says this is on me let's make this happen that is fun to watch because like you said you get those kind of throws where he's lacing in a a shot to Thielen on the pylon and you're just looking that going how is that possible how did he lace that in there exactly where it needed to be that is the kirk that i think the fans are dying for because that reminds you of seeing your g- gunslingers from the past like your farve types where they just get into this mindset and they're going. I'm going to make this happen. Come hell or high water. And if Kirk turns into that guy, all of the questions and the fans that are that are, you know, raising eyebrows saying, is this going to be a thing? What is the ceiling? What's he going to be like? That kind of season will shut everybody up forever. And it is awesome to watch. So I am begging for that to happen this season, just as a fan and as an employee. It is very fun to watch when you see a guy like Kirk go for it on that level.
1: Last talker, uh, Good Morning Football this week had a discussion with Maurice Jones-Drew, Peter Schrager, uh, and Sean O'Hara was on there about the Vikings possibly being a sleeper contender in the NFC this year. Schrager thinks it's—I Who P- I love Peter Schrager. I think he is so great on that show. Uh, he said he thinks the Vikings should be in the con- uh, conversation given their ability to go down to New Orleans. New Orleans am I from there for their ability to go to New Orleans? How, what happened to me right there? Did I have a southern stroke in the middle of that uh, and, and win in the wild card round his biggest concerns are obviously the changes on defense and digs being gone. Uh, Sean O'Hara he, I think his confidence is is in Zimmer on the defensive side of the ball is what I took from it is this you know he's got this young core the offense is a little more established and uh, I paraphrasing. He's got, this is what he does. He grows young guys. Uh, Drew's main concern is a lot of people's concern. Delvin Cook uh, being a holdout. I don't know why I just described an entire episode of Good Morning Football to you guys. But I would say when you hear people saying that your team, our team, the Vikings are a sleeper contender, what's your reaction?
0: I love hearing the outside perspective and from these national reporters and uh, when the Vikings played the Saints and Change the-
1: Chris's bio change Chris's biography to third tier outside perspective. <laughs>
0: tier three <laughs>
1: How the how the cream of the crop rose to the top of the crop by Chris Corso. No, I forward
0: I, normally Mark Pete, Rosen. Normally, normally Pete Schrager is the uh is the fan of the Vikings. He usually gives us some positivity, but um no, it's it's for to hear them still characterize us as a sleeper is, is fine by me. I think that's where Zimmer likes to be. He likes when everyone says that we're not going to beat the Saints on the road in the playoffs. He likes when we're we're considered the third-best team in the NFC North. I think that's when the Vikings play their best is when they are characterized as the sleeper. Um, the, my biggest concern is a team like the San Francisco 49ers, who the team our season ended to on the road last year. Looking at some of the top teams in the NFC, We're going to have to to rise to that level. And I think the biggest area where we have to rise to their level to be on on that level is the offensive line uh, being able to protect Kirk Cousins, as we said um, in that previous segment. That is what broke down in the biggest game of the season where we lost at the end. I think if the offensive line can take that next step, we can be on the level of those top teams in the NFC because our defense certainly is.
2: One thing that Sean O'Hara pointed out in that in that clip when they were discussing us was that the Vikings only won two division games last year. That is a huge point. And we were 10 and 6 at that point. So if you even get one more or two more, you're potentially hosting a playoff game at home. And just think if you're hosting a game versus being at New Orleans or what the implications would have been. Maybe we don't go to San Francisco in the playoffs. I think if you can take care of what you need to at home in your own division and you can have another season where you're getting into that double-digit column this team like we just said with the offense especially is poised to do some damage like they did last year so again keep saying that you're not on the top keep looking at us as a sleeper pick whatever you want to talk about at the beginning it doesn't matter at the beginning of the year depends at the end and when you start to make those runs late in the season those are the things that count and that is what matters so Fine by us. The Vikings have always liked it when, especially Zimmer's, always liked it when you're you're the underdog, and uh, in the end, it's great to prove them wrong.
1: Well, so here's my here's my counter hope because I think you guys are right. I think this team thrives as an underdog. I I think Zimmer's a a fantastic coach no matter what role they're playing. But I do think he. I think you guys are right. I think he enjoys the underdog role. I think he revels in the criticism and being able to rally against it, but. What I really want for this team is I want to see them succeed in the opposite role. I want to see them I want to see them I would I you know selfishly I would love to see us come out and run up 4 and oh 05 and oh 06. I mean no matter for what reason I would love us to do that. But I'd like other teams to be coming into us, and and everybody in the national media going, oh, this is a this is a Super Bowl contender. This isn't a sleeper. These are the guys. I, these are a possible one seed. I'd like to host a home playoff game. I'd like to host an a, you know an NFC Championship game because that's that feels like the thing that uh, you know w- it would be nice to see us break through. It would be to get into those moments to be the lead dog and to run away from people. And that's you know that's a tough thing to that's a tough thing especially given the the basically the large return of the three best teams in the conference arguably outside of where we believe our team stands the packers the saints you know the niners and the seahawks the four best teams they're all pretty you know, intact and returning. So they have a lot of the benefits that we have in keeping a lot of their staff and players together. So, you know, it's going to be hard to, to necessarily rise and rise above those guys in, in any quick manner. But that that's where I want to see the team. I, I, want to, I don't want to be a sleeper. I, I want to be a lead dog. I want to be a contender. And I want this team to go through a season of getting the shots that contenders get. You know, I, I, that, that, that to me would wildly benefit this team. Now, of course, w- what a luxury. What a You know, it's a dumb thing for me to sit here and go, I want to be so good, everybody wants to beat us. But I just wanted to throw that out there with the, you know, comparatively to the underdog conversation. Let's, let's close on something uh, related to that. Mike Zimmer, the media this week has floated out that Mike is uh, in is a, there is a pending Mike Zimmer contract extension being finalized. Uh, it has not been finalized, announced, or formalized by us. So we're we're not going to speculate on that or the terms. But uh, I will say that even the even the leak of the possibility of that information as a Viking fan got me going I mean I'm I I grew up in I was 15 years old in 1998 so Denny Green is always I I, I spent a long time thinking there would never be a Viking football coach that I would uh, root for more than I rooted for Denny Green and Zimmer has risen easily to that level so the fact that we might be tacking him in here for a few more years is is really, really exciting. Uh, like I said, when it becomes an actual piece of announced information, we'll really go through it on this podcast, but just given the leaked media information, I'm sure you guys are pretty through the roof as well.
0: I mean, you have to be, he's won 60% of his game since he's been here, 57, 38 and one. And he's had the defense finish top five, um, multiple seasons 2015 and 2019 uh two seasons where we went pretty far in the playoffs it's just about getting over that hump that next step uh but he clearly has us a contender in the NFC year after year after year uh so that's all you ask for as a fan and he's clearly obviously has the the impact on the defensive side of the ball uh but we want to see it all come together and I think with Gary Kubiak staying and being the the one to take over the offense, and finally some to have someone who's been here the year before uh, be on the offensive side of the ball. I think this could be the year where, where it happens. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta appreciate what Mike Zimmer has done here as a fan. Having the def- to be a defensive first team is is always exciting. Um, Everyone has feared his defense, his double-A gap blitz in every single game. Um, And we always have a chance to win every game. I think that's all you could ask for as a fan from your head
2: coach, and, and clearly our players love him. A guy like Bud Grant set the tone. And what did fans love about Bud Grant? He was the tough, no-nonsense, no-BS kind of coach that would lead from the front. He's still running out there in his, his older age, you know, in the the freezing cold and in a polo shirt, and he's he's he is the personification of toughness. And I think the reason why people love Mike Zimmer at this point is he is essentially, in a way, a Bud Grant 2.0. He leads from the front. No BS. He doesn't want any excuses. He constantly tells the players when something happens, he says, nobody's going to feel sorry for us and nobody's going to give us an inch. So guess what? You got to go out and earn it. And I think a guy like Zimmer, not only can he you know, talk tough, but he's backing it up with wins, going to playoff games, winning big games in the playoffs. I think Mike Zimmer being a part of this team, the fans and the players and the front office, everybody knows that they have a competent, successful leader and a guy like Mike, and I think it'll be great if they can lock him up for the long term.
1: Well, thank you guys for uh, in, for for being willing to let me throw questions at your face throughout this episode. That's going to do it for us. We uh, I insist, Viking fans, that you stay tuned to Vikings.com and all of our social media for the latest in Vikings news as... Verizon Vikings training camp 2020 gets kicked off here. Uh, just some stuff that's up there that's really great right now. Craig Peters reviews how the new look safeties on the Vikings defense could help out during the 2020 season during his uh, in his X's and O's article. Lindsey Young. Uh, Helps further the breakdown of Tajay Sharp in her lunch break article and check out the continued coverage of Cameron and Friends Bracelet Bunch charity fundraiser from this past week in Rosemont, Minnesota, uh, with the help of her gracious host, the family of Vikings fullback CJ Ham. It's just it's such a great thing that those families are out there doing. Uh, Follow us on all the social media platforms and just stay tuned. We are there. Football is coming, and we're going to be covering training camp every single week, and we will see you guys next week.